Well, hello, hello, and welcome to yet another episode of Skeptics and Seekers. I'm your host, David the Skeptic, and I'm joined by a very special guest. Hello, special guest. Who are you? Hi, good uh, good day, David. This is Marvin Wallace. Marvin Wallace. Marvin the Maniac. Marvin. Actually, he's a really nice guy. <laughs> and uh, so I, uh, I want to uh, give an opportunity for people to know uh, Marvin, the nice guy, who, who I actually like a lot. And um, so Marvin and I were just chatting a little bit uh, before we started. Uh, you know, we, we know that we both sometimes don't come off well on the board written form. Now, we do it anyway. We can't help it. <laughs> but this is really the real Marvin uh, that I want everyone to know. And we're going to be talking about uh, some really important things today. And so first of all, I just want to say thank you, Marvin, for, uh, for coming on to uh, Skeptics and Seekers and uh, having this conversation. And I, I can't think of anyone who I would rather have this particular conversation with. Uh, so thanks for that. Uh, before we jump into it, uh, Tell the audience just a little bit about you, because I've, I've got a feeling that not very many people have actually heard you speak on the mic and may not even know who you are uh, when it comes to the board. And so uh, just just introduce yourself a little bit and uh, let people know who you are, maybe uh, a little bit about your Christian journey, whatever you'd like people to know. Thanks, David. I originally come from a city called Derby in the... UK, well, in England, it's right in the middle, a place called the Midlands, and it's in the middle of the Midlands. Um, I studied, I stayed in England for about uh, the first half of my life and then migrated to Hong Kong. So I'm now speaking out of Hong Kong. I uh, studied, studied an art degree um, when I was uh, in the UK, but I've since sort of gone a, a different route because um, I began teaching uh, English in in Asia and um, sort of pursued um, avenues that enabled me to do that more effectively. Uh, one uh, thing that I did do was take was do Biola's um, MA in apologetics, which I, I found was just loads of fun very interesting and perhaps um, one of the reasons why uh, uh, I tend to speak the way that I do and have the confidence that I might come across as having in some of the arguments that I make sometimes uh, I have two teenage children and a lovely wife and I'm enjoying uh, life here in Hong Kong thanks David Sure, uh, and thank you for sharing that. Today, we're going to be talking about morality. Uh, I don't want to call it the moral argument, per se, because that has um, uh, a particular shape to it, although I do want to start the conversation uh, there. But I, I, I think that we'll be talking about a wide range, uh, ranging uh, aspects of, of morality. Uh, this podcast will not go for five hours. Um, it may not go much more than uh, one or one and a half hours. I know that it will be uh, an insufficient amount of time for this topic, but I've already started floating the idea of doing 
uh, a second show on this topic uh, with Marvin and maybe another Christian uh, and uh, a couple of skeptics so that we can have a similar roundtable topic and, and just open up depending on some of the some of the cans of worms that we open here today and, and not be able to fully deal with. And so that said, I'd like to get the uh, conversation started uh, in a kind of an easy way. Uh, the classical moral argument, and Marvin, since you are the one here with an apologetics degree, uh, why don't you begin uh, the conversation by just telling us what we normally would hear uh, with the, the classical presentation of the moral argument? Okay, the classical um, presenta presentation of the moral argument, or particularly the moral argument that is made famous by Bill Craig in his cumulative case for Christian theism, is as follows. If God does not exist, objective morals, values, and duties do not exist. Moral values and duties, moral objective values and duties do exist, therefore God exists. So what, what, um, what Craig is arguing there is um, in the absence of God, then there wouldn't be objective moral values and duties. But since we do have them, that points very strongly to the moral lawgiver the moral intuitor. That's the way that that uh, argument runs, David. Sure. Um, is there, can you, can you maybe think of a way that there could be some type of objective moral law without a God? I mean, it seems like the, the key part of this argument, as it's, as it's stated, is that God equals um, objective morality and I'm, and I'm just thinking well there there's a way that we can think of stars existing without a god um and maybe this thing that you think of as objective morality might just be a feature of the natural universe where people are in it uh and so can that work uh, in a nutshell, I don't. I just don't think it can. I think um, it's just uh, nigh on impossible. I can't think of a way that you can ground objective moral values in the natural world, because it doesn't seem to be doesn't seem to me to be the kind of thing that can be in the natural world. Um, if, would you they, would you say emotions are a part of the natural world? I would say that um, yeah, emotions are emotions are part of the natural world insofar as that people have emotions. Mm -hmm. But if if it if the people who have have emotions or the emotions that they have is part of a, the natural world, is a different question. I think that that pred, that um, sort of predicates persons as being completely natural by that it means completely physical and I wouldn't grant that because mm -hmm. I don't think that people are completely physical so if what you mean by the natural world is everything that obeys the laws of physics then I would say as we the laws of physics and chemical combination or, or a materialistic 
universe? Then I would say no, because I think people are not completely physical. That's fair enough. But but I think the difference is you could you can understand an argument where someone would say, no, I think that people are completely physical and emotions is a is a part of human biology. Uh, and it can be explained. Now, I'm not suggesting that you would agree with that argument, mm-hmm. but I, but I think that you could con- that that you could see that someone could make that argument uh, from an atheist perspective, uh, mm-hmm. and that not be crazy. And so, the the only thing I'm trying to establish is that there are many features of the human psyche uh, that you know we could ground in the natural world, and we can have that debate. And I'm I'm just wondering if our deep preferences for certain things and uh, revulsions for certain things are not as natural as our emotions. Now, this is not the argument that I'm that I'm making. I'm just saying that I I think it seems like a reach for Bill Craig to say the only thing that can explain, uh, say, a moral intuition, uh, it, even if you say that that's objective somehow, is a god. When there are things objectively about our emotions that we could say are natural. And so I, I think that there are okay. other things about the human psyche that are also natural. Okay. So I, I don't think Bill would, Bill Craig would say it's the only thing that can obje- uh, observe, uh, excuse me, explain objective morality. I think there have been attempts to explain objective morality or objective facts, moral objective facts, whichever way you want to uh, cash it out. But I do think that um, theism is far and away the best explanation. Mm -hmm. And um, I I just think it's quite difficult to try to explain uh, objective moral facts aside from theism. Do you you hold that there are moral objective facts? No. Okay. No, I know, I know that that is um, a, a kind of a shocking thing to hear for, for some people, but um, I actually don't believe that there are such thing as moral objective facts. But to, to help maybe uh, explore that a little bit uh, before we get too far here, I want to also um, just talk about what it is we think morality is before we talk about what it's based in. Um, and so... I was I was listening in, in preparation for this a, um, a debate between uh, cosmic skeptic and uh, Frank Turin, uh, I think uh, his name, and Turek. Uh, yeah, Turek yeah, that's yeah. it. That's yeah, it. Yeah. And um, Frank, uh, this was on Unbelievable, by the way, and so uh, yeah. people people have easy access to that. Uh, I, Turek, I remember that one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Turek was saying um, uh, toward the beginning that. When we, when we talk about good, what we're talking about is the nature of God. And I, I think that's a very strong statement, maybe even a stronger statement than Bill Craig's statement that there can be no concept of objective morality without God. I do not define uh, goodness that way. I, I do not define goodness as the nature of God. I mean, you might say that if there is a God, he might uh, be good, but... Uh, I, I think atheists have no problem using a term like good uh, or morality without without uh, 
regard to a God. And so I wanted to spend uh, just a few moments uh, before going further, maybe trying to define what we mean uh, when we talk about good, and maybe we can come up with uh, a, a definition that we can at least mutually use for this conversation, even if it's not completely satisfying either one of us. So what, what is, so the question to me is how do I define good? Or, or is it to respond to Frank Turek's? Well, um, yeah, it's, it's a little open-ended. So how do you define good? Uh, do you associate goodness with morality? So, I mean, is that, is that uh, synonymous? Uh, so that... Yeah, I definitely think that um, goodness is the aim, aim of morality. And I think what Turek was saying in that debate, um, I can't quite remember specifically what he says, but um, uh, an ethical f- f- uh, philosopher, Dave Badgett, put the point like this. Um, g- good is grounded in the nature of God. Now, how is that grounded in the nature of God? I think he, he put the point that is best seen in the Trinity, which is an eternal communion, mm-hmm. relationship, loving and perfect relationship between two, three aspects of one substance. Mm-hmm. And that that's the grounding of goodness for theists like um, like Dave Badgett and I, and I think like um, Frank Turek as well I think he okay I leave, I leave it trying to second guess uh, Turek's uh, grounding but I, I would put it like that yourself how would you ground um, goodness well uh, before grounding it I would I would just define it and I my definition is not very philosophical so I, I think that I am probably more along the lines of the average Joe. Uh, we don't really think about goodness in philosophical terms, uh, certainly not deeply philosophical terms. And uh, so for me, uh, goodness, uh, let me just say morality uh, or ethics, I do consider those two things synonymous. Um, is doing the right thing in any given situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, then we have uh, a matter of well, what is what is the right thing? Uh, but I think that whatever, however you cash out the right thing, that is also the good. Uh, it it may not always be the pleasant. So I don't I don't associate the good with the pleasant, although I think, uh, largely, if you are doing the good all the time and your life is unpleasant, uh, there's, there's a disconnect. Something, something is wrong. If, if you're doing the good and society is, is unpleasant, there's something wrong. So the, the other way I would talk about the good is social... Uh, social benefit or a pro-social behavior versus uh, bad, which is uh, anti-social behavior, social harm. Uh, so I do believe that things like 
good and uh, in in particular morality uh, this this may be one of the places where I would differentiate between good and morals morality is a matter of human interactions it would be a meaningless concept if there was only one person in the universe there, there would be no such thing as morality there's nothing that that person could do that would be immoral because it would have no social effect at all uh, no effect on anyone else uh, now you could argue uh, subjectively whether they are doing something that's good or bad for themselves but that is that is merely speaking how they relate to themselves you could not speak of in terms of ethics though and so I think the, the right thing to do has to be combined with the social uh, benefit pro-social behavior it has to involve some other human being otherwise um, it it just wouldn't make sense to speak in in those terms. In, you know, it wouldn't make sense to speak in terms of love um, if you if there was no one there but yourself. I mean, you can talk about self love, mm-hmm. but it's that's not love the way we generally think about it. So these are these are just kind of some thoughts that I have about what is good, and I don't think any of that's very deeply philosophical. It's all, in fact, pretty but intuitive. It makes, I think it, it it makes sense. If I if I might. Um move on mm-hmm. and just flesh out what I what I'm thinking a little bit okay so I, I think that much of what you said uh, makes sense and is not too dissimilar to what I uh, hold to aside from the fact that I, I, I try to ground the, the theist like myself tries to ground good in an exemplar an example of what goodness is which we believe to be exemplified in the Trinity. So that is an example of what good is. Now you laid out as well what a virt- what a, a moral life is to to you, and I I think that that's um, pretty good. I, I would say that um, a, a moral life is, and I, I I tend to go towards a virtue type of ethics is a life lived skillfully. A life lived skillfully pertaining to do what is good. And what is good is what is good for a human to do as an individual, what is good for a human to do in society, what is good for a human to do in their daily lives. So it's being skillful with relationships, being being uh, a, a worthwhile, upstanding member of communities. It's having a sense of uh, excellence and uh, skill in whatever job you do so it's a whole plethora of things that add towards that pertain towards being skillful or virtuous in life and I think following uh, Aristotle and and Thomas Aquinas I think both of them kind of argue by the way that we can only kind of really judge the virtuous person at the end of their lives. We can't <laughs> judge them at the at, at, at the beginning mm. or in the middle. We have to look and say, how have they grown and how have they used what they've what they have to live a good life? So I would flesh out um, my moral theory based on 
pertaining to what is good like that. So I, I think we, there's a there's quite a bit of overlap. Okay. Yes. I um. I I see the overlap. I see the potential uh, for some of the places where where we might uh, diverge uh, a little bit too. Uh, so uh, let's let's explore some of those places where where we might go in different routes. You asked the question uh, before, and I just wanted to get this definitionally out there before tackling it. What do I ground goodness in? Um, and this is this is uh, the question where um, where the the moral argument debate um, kind of goes uh, naturally when with a Christian and a non-Christian. Uh, you might say, for instance, that uh, goodness is based uh, is grounded in the nature of God. Uh, now, I, I, I will surprise you here by saying I could grant that argument entirely, and it, and it still would not help. <laughs> it wouldn't. It wouldn't get us very far um, because I'm not actually interested in proving or disproving a God. I think the only thing that the moral argument is designed to do is is kind of an apologetic as a proof for God. It actually doesn't say much about morality. Uh, and so, if if I grant it, uh, what I think is a fairly trivial. Um, aspect of the moral argument and uh, just said for the sake of argument, okay, there's a God and his nature is good. Uh, we don't actually get anywhere and that doesn't help us decide what the right thing to do is uh, in any given situation. So I, I try to ground my ideas of good. And once again, just to understand, I'm not really deeply philosophical about this. This is only when I have to force myself to think about it. Um, I don't think anyone is all that deeply philosophical and asking themselves, well, what is the, what is the foundation of God? I, I think that's a, a fairly unnatural question uh, for most people. But for me, I would say um, that the foundation uh, of good is in uh, societal, individual and societal uh, flourishing. Uh, now, I, I, you, you might call this the Harris Doctrine. Uh, but I don't think that Harris was the first person to decide that humans flourishing is a good thing, <laughs> right? This is not a this is not a particularly um, high end uh, idea. Uh, it's it's fairly intuitive, and so I I do believe that that is a good starting point. And if we can say uh, that thing, you know, this thing or set of things uh, either a benefits flourishing or has no uh, no uh, effect on it one way or the other. Uh, I would put that in uh, the category of the good or at least certainly not the bad. And I would only think of a thing as bad if it does have uh, some harmful effect uh, socially or uh, I would say individually. But as we talk about knowing the right thing to do in any given situation, I'm mostly not concerned with the individual here. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'll talk about why in a, in a little bit. I think that individuals can do a lot of bad things to themselves. That is simply not my ultimate concern. Uh, if a person can do bad things that don't affect other people, I'm, I'm actually fine with that. Uh, I would okay. like everyone to do good things. I don't think that that person is experiencing ultimate flourishing. But if they believe that they're doing okay and they're doing something that I consider bad, 
but it doesn't actually affect anyone. It's just not something that I'm uh, interested in considering in the scope of uh, a conversation on ultimate morality. And I know that the Christian would think differently because your idea of morality probably has something to do with sin and how, you know, what the, you know, good is good is good, whether someone else is involved or not sort of thing. So that's where that's where my grounding is. Tell me about your grounding. That's that's great. I mean, I sort of understand uh, that you you sort of have a parallel argument to Sam Harris there. Um, I think he talks about uh, human flourishing. He, I re- if I remember correctly, it's on it's on a footnote to page forty eight forty eight. I think of um, the moral landscape. I listened to it in audio. Uh, <laughs> I have yeah, no idea. He 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 he, um, he talks about uh, human flourishing and um, well being. And he admits that he derives those terms from the Greek term eudaimonia. Okay, so eudaimonia, the good life, can be translated as flourishing or else as uh, well-being. So it comes from Aristotle, and given Aristotle's virtue ethicist, I can understand what what Aristotle means when he talks about human flourishing and well-being, because he talks about what I mentioned previously, a, a well-lived life. Mm-hmm. I use that. I use that phrase a yeah. lot myself. So I, I can get that it's a well-lived life, but I think Harris talk doesn't talk about it in such a in terms of being a well-lived life. So would you go beyond what Harris is saying here and sort of go for? the Aristotelian, perhaps the Thomistic understanding of eudaimonia, which is a well-lived life. I think I could, but I don't think I would try to make that case uh, on air. <laughs> so basically, basically what I'm saying is Harris uses the term in, a, in not the right way. Right. Well, he uses the term in, I think, a, a very colloquial, uh, colloquial way. And so... I mean, and 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 Alistair MacIntyre, right, uh, a moral historian, sort of bemoans using terms in a way that divulges them uh, or empties them of, of meaning, because then it, we end up with sort of a, according to him, a fractured uh, moral conversation. And I think that that is what happens when Harris uses well-being and human flourishing, aside from its its usual grounding, which is in virtue ethics. So what I'm saying is, that, and this is where the overlap, overlap is, it lines up well with someone like myself, who sort of pertains towards virtue ethics. But for the non-Christian, <coughs> how does that work? What is, what is human flourishing? Yeah, so let me just say, I am not a virtue ethicist. Um, okay. I'm not an ethicist, <laughs> so uh, I'm not a I'm not a moral yeah. philosopher. But I, if yeah, I, I were, just, yeah, sorry, David. Yeah, no, 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 that's okay. I mean, if I were, I would not be a virtue ethicist. I don't believe. Uh, I don't think that Sam Harris is a virtue ethicist, I, and so uh, I don't want to be in the position of. Sure. Uh, arguing <laughs> Sam Harris any more than you want to be in a position of. Uh, of 
defending Turek, but I, I would say that my understanding of Harris um, is that he is not shooting for so much the, um, the, the virtue ethics that you're talking about, uh, but th- that may be a starting point. When he talks about flourishing or a well-lived life, uh, in fact, I, he doesn't really use the term well, but he talks about well-being uh, and flourishing. Mm-hmm. He, is, he is really talking about the opposite of misery. And he, he defines his position fairly well, and I, and I like to define it that way myself. If you imagine, uh, you know, I think, you know, just trying to find an agreement on a starting point. If you can imagine all humans suffering the worst possible suffering, the worst possible misery all the time, we, we could both agree that that is a less than ideal condition. Now, how do we improve that condition? By, by just changing even one of those things. Maybe uh, all people suffering absolute misery only part of the time. And then we can make it better by saying, well, only some people suffer absolute misery some of the time. And we can make it um, even better by saying uh, very people suffer uh, a, some misery part of the time. And, you know, we can, we can continue to progress that until we get to the point where no people are uh, in misery any of the time. And, you know, so you can, you can talk about that as a, a utopic uh, vision, mm-hmm. if you will. That's certainly not uh, what we have now, but it is the goal, I think, of uh, the natural goal of humans for themselves and their family to live in the most well-being state that they can as much of the time as possible. And so if you just expand that and extend that desire from yourself and your family to other people around you, to to greater society, you have what I... um, and I think what Sam Harris is talking about as uh, as well-being and flourishing. So I, I, I think that's a very simple idea that falls well short of the, what was the word, eudaimonia? Eudaimonia. Eudaimonia. I, don't, well, I, don't, I, I, I think it falls short of that, but I think that's, that's what we're getting at. If I could respond, I, I get that. And I think what I'm saying is, is um, given maximizing pleasure and minimizing suffering, which is basically, you might call it, uh, consequentialism. Sam Harris himself calls it consequentialism, because the idea is to get a set of principle or rules that govern human behavior, the outcome of which would be the maximizing of pleasure and the minimization of pain. And he, he, he talks about, you know, having, using science to do that. I get that, but the point that I'm trying to make is that's not what you end up with is not human flourishing or, or well-being, eudaimonia, because that's a value-laden concept that Harris doesn't flesh out. So what you what you get, I think, is a sort of a hedonistic utilitarianism, which is to maximize pleasure and minimize pain. And I can agree, and there's overlap here that those things are good. But there, we have to say there's actually more to life than pain and pleasure. There are other things that we need to take into account, such as truth, um, experience, reality. You know, these things 
all feed into what it is to live a moral life. And let me th let me throw this out there as well. It was previously you mentioned uh, one person on their own, in your view, could not live a moral life. I'm thinking of um, a Thomistic moral philosopher. His name will come Ralph Macinere. Macinere. He he made this point: all human action is moral action because everything you do or everything a human do is done towards a specific aim whether that aim be good or bad and therefore all moral action is or all human action is all is moral action now don't, not every christian is going to buy that but um, i think he makes a good point right so let me let me just go back to um uh what you said about uh ut utilitarian hedonism yeah. Or hedonistic utilitarianism. Um, yeah. Uh, so <laughs> this is this is not something that I've ever done before, but why not? We're having a conversation. No one can lose here, right? Um, it's a conversation. Let me make a case for hedonistic utilitarianism. <laughs> so um, uh, I'm not a hedonist, by the way, in the in the sense that you talk about. I'm certainly not a moral utilitarian, um, but. Uh, but that said, if you could achieve hedonistic utilitarianism for everyone in society at the same time, then I don't think that I think that would be a goal. In other words, if everyone could have ultimate pleasure all the time, even at the expense of ultimate truth, I'm not I'm not sure that would be a bad thing. So uh, an example of this for Star Trek fans um, there was um, this uh, fan favorite episode, uh, The Spores, uh, and uh, the crew comes to this uh, planet, um, uh, apparently some, some people from another ship had gotten stranded there, uh, and turns out they lived, they could live forever. Um, they were healthy, they had no diseases, they were happy, uh, they were flourishing, they were one with nature. Um, it was paradise, except it was a paradise created by this artificial thing. It was, it was kind of a parasitic uh, 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 plant life, these spores uh, that caused them. And Kirk couldn't countenance that. Uh, he, he needed his reality, damn it. <laughs> and uh, so he destroyed their paradise <laughs> so, that, so that they could have a dose of reality. And I'm not sure that he did the right thing. Um, those people were living the thing that is the human goal. And you can say, well, but they didn't get there the right way, but I'm not sure that the right way really matters uh, in this case. So this is just a kind of a science fiction view of this idea of hedonistic utilitarianism. Uh, so I, this is not something that I think is actually possible in this world, that we could achieve uh, this type of hedonism, uh, hedonistic utilitarianism without some nod to reality and truth. But if you could, I don't think I would be against that because it would still uh, achieve uh, the the end that everyone is maximally flourishing. If I if I might come back to that, um, when when you say uh, maximally flourishing, do you mean that they're living lives uh, sort of? With the maximum of pleasure and the minimum of suffering. Yes. Yeah. 
Well, uh, uh, yeah, but I would say that that's not flourishing. Um, ro uh, here, consider this. The experience machine is a super-duper contraption. It is able to supply its subjects with any experience they desire. Scientists would so configure the machine that the individual would be wired into the machine yet floating in a medium. The medium could, for example, allow the individual to think that they are writing a great novel or else making a new friend. The machine can be programmed so that the individual could stay in it for life. Alternatively, the individual could come out every so often so as to change the experiences they have. The important point is that the machine can be so configured that the individual will not know that they are not in the machine. Novak, Robert Novaki, the one who formulated this, uh, Nozick, sorry, who formulated this um, thought experiment, then posits this question. Would you plug into that machine, which is an analogous to the Star Trek uh, s series you talked about or episodes you talk about, would you plug into that? I'm surfing the web right now to see if this machine exists. Sign me up. Sign well, me many, up. Many, many people wouldn't. Why? He goes to point out that what we want are actual experiences. What would it mean to have had the perfect experience of climbing Mount Everest, yet not, yet not to have ever actually climbed Mount, experience, uh, Mount Everest in reality? A second reason is that we want to be a certain way. One might say that we want to be the best examples of ourselves given our biological makeup. To choose to be living in a machine is an, as an indeterminate blob is to opt for a kind of suicide. A third reason is that to accept the life in the experience machine is to limit it oneself to man's is to limit oneself to man's reality. The point that I'm trying to get at here is is that aside from uh, maximizing pleasure and minimizing suffering, there's a whole plethora of experience and comporting with reality, having real uh, future, having real options, being in control of one's destiny, being able to make mistakes and learn from those mistakes. There's a whole dimension of, of things that go on that constitute what it is to, to live a life that can be virtuous and can result in the moral life. Just having pleasure and minimizing pain, I don't think captures that sphere. And I think that that is something that is missing with the explication of um, uh, the kind of the, the consequentialism that Harris promotes in the moral landscape. Yeah, but shouldn't that be an individual choice? I mean, when you describe the experience machine, oh, and even, even, yeah. even when you give it in its most negative terms, I still say, sign me up. Uh, I've had five, maybe six major, major surgeries uh, in my life. My life would be materially better <laughs> if I had not um, had to go through that, if, if my life and my body had not gone in such a way. Uh, yeah. that necessitated that. And if you could have told me about this experience machine before uh, getting into a position where those surgeries were required, I would go for the experience machine. I, I don't, I, I'm perfectly happy with that. Uh, you know, I can't remember in okay. the matrix which one the red pill and the blue pill is, but the, 
the pill that allows me to to have my happy dream for uh, my existence, uh, I'll take that one every time. Mm -hmm. I don't. I am. I am not. Uh, I'm not <laughs> the guy who's got to free everybody from the machine. Well, I, I mean, I, I, great point. You know, I've had this conversation with our uh, resident idealists. And I'm not going to mention names. I never like to, to really mention names. Oh, Tara and knows then, who you're and, talking about for and, Pete's and sake. Unless, <laughs> unless it's positive. And the, <laughs> the, idea, the idea that, I, that I'm trying to get across to her is that, look, if life is this sort of huge illusion and it's not what we perceive it to be, isn't that immoral? Isn't that a lie? No, it's not a lie unless someone is purposely deceiving you. So it would just be a misapprehension of reality. But I'm, I don't, I don't, uh, now, I also like knowing things about reality. One of the reasons I like knowing things about reality is because I'm stuck in it. If mm -hmm. I wasn't stuck in it, then I would like to know, uh, you know, things about the other options that I have besides reality. So I, I am a big fan of keeping it real because reality is all we, we've got uh, up until the point that someone invents the experience machine. Which and, is my point. And I'm, and I'm willing to dump reality like a which bad my, habit at that point. <laughs> which, is my, which is my point. If, if reality is what it is and what we think it is is not what it is, then some things are right. Well, no, it just means that we uh, don't know everything about uh, reality and nature in the universe. And I, I don't think that anyone who ever exists ever will. And so we will always have some misapprehensions about reality. So, uh, you know, okay, please, please, don't, I, please don't take this the wrong way. I think that no, Christianity, no, no. People, I, I, people in religions, I think that they are in their own experience machine. I, I don't think that they are living the fullness of reality. Uh, you know, you can say Muslims, Hindus, uh, pr practitioners of voodoo. Um, they're not they're not living the greatest reality, uh, the greatest life, because they're they're in, in a kind of a, an experience machine that doesn't work very well. Uh, and so they don't have the best of the experience machine and they don't have the best of reality. And so that's where I think it's a real tragedy. But we all, I mean, you would say the same thing about me. You would say that, uh, I, I, that my life is an illusion because I am living it thinking that there is no God and no higher power. And really, there's this whole other substrate that I'm not aware of. Uh, and so I'm, I'm not entirely sure how that's different from living in an experience machine and just being deceived about other parts of reality. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not gonna. I wouldn't say your life is an illusion. Uh, I think your life is a real life lived in a real universe, uh, on a real planet. And then, I, and I, and I think that you experience life as do I. And I think that our faculties are the kind of faculties that are that allow us to experience life the right way. For example, we have eyes that uh, look on, look. We have sensory apparatus such as eyes that look into the real world or the physical world, deliver us information about that real world that we can make um, make value ju make judgments about. Same with our ears, 
same with our tactile sensations and um, minds that are constituted in such a way that they work well within the environment in which they are specifically designed in my uh, view to work so i think we we're both the same in that way now why you're not a, a christian and i am i think um uh, i wouldn't judge you on that i would just give you what i think are the facts and then only you know all right but you would agree that at least one of us maybe both of us but at least one of us is radically wrong about the nature of reality i think one of us is um, i think one of us is wrong about ultimate reality but not reality itself and the reason i say ultimate reality is because going back to what I first said in the beginning is I don't think that the natural world, the physical world, is all there is. I think there's um, an immaterial aspect to the world, and that's what I was getting at before. So it's not that you're wrong about reality. It's perhaps that you don't en encompass that there could be more beyond this physical uh, experience that we have. So tell me what you think the end game is. I mean, in a sense, we both have a utopic end game in mind. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm thinking that, for instance, your end game uh, has something to do with heaven. I don't actually know what your views are uh, about heaven. I haven't surveyed it. I'm just taking a guess because you're a Christian. This is vaguely a Christian uh, notion. I know there are lots of different opinions. Uh, but yeah. the idea that heaven is some kind of ultimate state where you live for an ultimate uh, lifespan and you have <laughs> the ultimate good all the time, and you know yeah. you have new, you have if if I can say all pleasure and yeah. no no misery. <laughs> yeah. That is the same. <laughs> that is exactly the same in game for me. Yeah. Now, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't call it heaven and I don't think uh, you know I don't I don't think that exists but to the extent that you know if we can increase human lifespan let's say there is a way that we could increase it for you know infinity okay. I'm, I'm for that if but so but we are both it seems like hope we we think that ultimate good that the thing that we are going for that we want humans to go toward and what we consider the goal of morality is this utopia am, am i wrong well uh, the end as you put it the end goal i would say yeah that's a good end goal and i agree okay so then it so what we think that end goal is even though we have some agreement uh roughly if you think that end goal is something that is awarded to us by uh, a being not of, of this world and awarded to some and not uh, to others. And I think this end goal is something that we can create ourselves. We're going to have some radically different ideas, I think, about how to achieve that goal. So I want to see if I can transition the conversation to some of that difficulty. Because even, I, I said something that uh, people probably are still reeling at right now. I could grant the, the God argument. And mm -hmm. um, I, I 
think I would like to spend a few minutes doing that uh, just to. Can I throw? Can I just give, ask one thought? Sure. So, in a way, I suppose this is academic because you don't really um, hold that we do have objective morals, right? You don't think no. that there are objective objective moral facts. Is is that right? That is correct. Okay. So, for example, the example that's always given, um, it's wrong to torture babies for fun. Would you say that that is always wrong? Or is that, is that objectively wrong or subjectively wrong? Well, it's definitely subjectively. Is it wrong? It's, it's subjectively it wrong. wrong. It's, it, it's wrong to me, and I know why I think it's wrong. Mm-hmm. But well, I don't that's... know why a Christian would think it's wrong because if if they are if they have a very different idea of what the end goal is and how how that's achieved uh, their reason for that being wrong is going to be different than my reason for it being wrong so this is this is kind of what i want to get at even even if i were to go to the what what i want to throw out there is, is is that for the Christian, it's all, it's just wrong. It's always wrong. But for for you, it's not always wrong. It's just wrong for you. Well, right. So I I want to I want to explore that. So let let me just. Uh... I'm gonna I'm gonna throw I'm just gonna throw something else out there for you as well. Um, how how do we come to know what is wrong? Right. Is so that... this is this is the question that I'm that I'm trying to that I'm trying to shape right now. And so okay. no matter what you think the grounding is, which is why I can go ahead and grant God for a few minutes just for the sake of fun, it does not help us answer the question of what is right or wrong in any given situation. Uh, and I and I contend that we have to move past the God question if we're going to actually find uh, useful answers to those questions. The the moral argument does not help you with that. And grounding morality in some deeply philosophical concept of, you know, the goodness of God does not, in fact, help you know uh, whether torturing babies for fun is wrong or not. Uh, So with that said, uh, let's go ahead and run with that example. Uh, I think both you and I would find the idea of torturing babies for fun. In fact, forget for fun, torturing babies, a, a distasteful uh, a, a disgusting idea, but once again, we come at it from two very different places, and I'm not sure that uh, we agree on why we we think it's wrong. Uh, furthermore, I think what you're trying to do when you make an argument that way, and it, it's not like you're the first person who's used this as an argument. I hear this all the time. Um, when when the Christian tries to use this type of example. What they are trying to do is identify something that is universally considered wrong by all people at all times. And I would say that you have failed to do that with that example. Obviously, uh, you have failed because people uh, throughout history have found uh, reasons, what they thought were good reasons, to torture babies. Uh, One example uh, that I would give would be uh, the practice of taking babies and putting them in uh, holes and then pour, and then putting columns in those holes and building temples around that um, live babies <laughs> uh, that that is torturing babies 
in the ultimate way in the service of their God, uh, their God ideas. And so there, there have been plenty of people throughout history who have not only thought that it was okay to do so, but have thought it was okay to do so firmly with the idea that it was in service to a God. So it, it does, you, you have failed to find a, a thing that is okay. universally I, revived. I, I appreciate your response. Okay. So I think, I think you're right in, in many ways, but let me flesh that out a bit. Sure. I think, I think that we have moral intuitions and those are the, those are the things that unify moral discourse, moral thought. And that's not just Christians who hold to moral intuitionism or objective, moral objective facts based on intuitions. It's a, it's a lot of it. atheist philosophers or thinkers on ethics too. Now, when you talk about um, the example of um, uh, a society who uh, kill babies uh, for their deity or, or, or whatever they do, we need to examine the facts of the case because I think it's the facts of the case that determine how the moral is played out, which is to say, I would bet, and I can't just guess the example that you, you, you've given because I don't know the society from which that comes, but I would, I, I would guess right here that, that what that society will say is that it's wrong to murder your own children. And that's the moral intuition. So we all agree that murdering your, old, your own children is wrong but that those babies who are sacrificed for the temple, as it were, I think, I think what, it will, what we'll probably find out is that those babies are not their own or they come from a, another tribe or another group. For example, as the Aztecs did when they cut out the hearts, cut out the hearts of um, people to appease their God, uh, to stop him destroying the world, they, they'd cut out people's hearts and do the sacrifice. So my point is that I think that the moral intuition, the moral intuition is the same. It's the facts of the case that determine the moral intuition that are different. So you have to examine those facts to see if the moral intuition, the objective moral fact, is being adhered to. Yeah. So, as as I would view morals the the facts at that at that resolution don't matter because i would not say that it is wrong to murder your children i would say it's wrong to murder any children <laughs> because that doesn't that that once again we get, we can talk about why i say that's wrong but it's uh, it reduces flourishing it causes uh, a definite uh, societal harm uh, even if it's only the society of the person that you're harming or the family of the people that you're harming um, and uh, yeah so it, it is uh, definitely the opposite of pro-social uh, behavior now that may not be so a you, good enough so we, reason. So we agree that they're wrong. Well, well, but but let, me, let, me, let me just be clear. That may not be a good enough reason for you. You believe that the facts of the case uh, of whether or not they're murdering their children or someone else's children matter. And I don't believe that. I don't believe that that matters at all. And I, I, um, 
I would actually be concerned about the moral intuition if, if you know, we're talking about a specific case of this. By the way, I, this is not made up. This is, this is history. Um, but if we're talking about a specific case of this, uh, and you ask the question, okay, but was it your child? I, I don't care about the answer. I would worry about your moral intuition that you would care about the, the answer to that question. Yeah, I'm not quite sure I'm tracking with you here. Um, my my point is that um, yeah, it's wrong. It's wrong. Uh, we have moral intuitions about, about what is right and wrong. But I don't. Kid. I don't get this from a moral intuition, though. I mean, I I think that we can talk about moral intuition. I think that is uh, definitely on the on the list. It. But this is you this is. You don't get you don't get that it's wrong to to kill children from moral intuition. No, I'm 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 not saying that you don't get it from moral intuition. I'm saying as I have set this up, I'm I don't I haven't even addressed moral intuition yet. It's it's wrong on another level besides moral intuition. It's wrong in that it is uh, anti-social, socially harmful uh, behavior. That is why I would say first and foremost, that it's wrong. A second, uh, a secondary reason is moral intuition. And then we can talk about, well, how did, how did we get this moral intuition that I'm talking about? Uh, in other words, our, our, our social conscience, if you will. Um, mm -hmm. So first of all, it's, it's important to note that moral intuition and social conscience are not universal. We have different intuitions and consciences about different things. But by that's and large... Where that's where we disagree, right? Because I, I think largely our, our moral intuitions are the same. And uh, I would say that those who don't have the same are kind of twisted, wrong, right? They're wrong. Well, okay. But, but you, you, you wouldn't say that. No, you wouldn't say that not, not simply you based on moral intuition. You, you wouldn't say that the society who sort of destroyed their kids in the way you pointed out are wrong. In fact, you'd probably say you'd be you'd, you'd be in the position to say well they were right given their given their understanding no no no. i would say that they're wrong uh but i would say that they're wrong because of the reasons that i gave uh they're well, not wrong the because re the reason the reason being social sort of social cohesion or something like that uh, it, because of a breakdown of social cohesion and i but I if could... they were the big if they were the big tribe in say south america and they did that to the smaller tribes and it cause social co cohesion in their big tribe then wouldn't they be right to do it given what you've just said no because my because my moral my ethic is not just about an individual or even an individual tribe it is it is about everyone to the extent possible and i think this is where the the Harris doctrine kind of comes in this is so not, it's not necessarily uh, concerned with a tribe so if if the majority of people thought that, then they would be right according to Harris's doctrine. Uh, no, <laughs> they would. I think that uh, they would be demonstrably would. no. They would be demonstrably I wrong. Think they would. No, I think they would. They would not. <laughs> Harris's doctrine. This is you know. Again, I don't want to find myself um, uh, defending Harris. Harris bases his uh, part of his doctrine on the science uh, or the scientific method of determining what in fact is uh, 
flourishing and in, in well-being for humans. And so I think that we can say uh, with a high level of agreement throughout the audience that societies that kill their kids, that there is not a surer and shorter path to um, evolutionary disaster. It, it, extinction uh, lies at the brink for that society. Uh, and so but there, let me, there let are... Me, let me stop you there a second. But hmm? science cannot tell us what human flourishing is, can it? Well, but it can, well, but it can tell us, I think, once we determine uh, what human flourishing is, what, bingo. what, th what things, bing, bing, bingo. what things bring us toward it and what things move us away from it. And I think that that's there are exactly the point that I make. If right. you determine what it is before you do the science, you know what the science can tell you. If you know what good is before you sort of collect the data, then you know, right? Science can tell you what good is, but you can't do the science and then say, well, Science has showed us this is good unless you've determined beforehand what good is. Well, that's, that's why that's why you have to have a goal. This the science the, doesn't give the, us a goal. That's the problem with Harris's doctrine. Well, I I think that it is incomplete in that sense, and I think that Harris would be okay. the first to say that we have to first agree on a goal, and he simply suggests as a goal human flourishing. Uh, in a in a very I, I think uh, intuitive manner. In a very what, in a, in a very narrow sense that doesn't really do justice to what human flourishing is. Well, but because I think once again I think that we can say from a scientific a scientific or evolutionary way that a uh, civilization that kills their routinely kills their children is not a civilization that can survive. There are no civilizations right now that that survive with that as an ethic. Uh, and so we can we can kind of rule that out. Hold on, David. You're not taking into account the abortion debate here, are you? Uh, not in the way that you do, but I would. And that, I, and that, and that's exactly an example of of intuition, right? You gave a compare that with the example that you gave earlier. Now, you and I would agree killing children is wrong. Would you would you agree that killing children is wrong? Uh, for the reasons I gave, yes. Uh, but, but, but not not in is, not in some objective way. But the but, fact but but because it goes against all human uh, goals of flourishing. But the point the point that I want to make is is that um, we both agree that uh, Killing children is wrong, but you would agree you wouldn't agree that fetuses are children, right? And I and I would say, well, they have the potential to become children. Sure. So the moral intuition is the same. Well, how not, we interpret not, them, not really. How we, how, how we interpret those facts is different, as as in the example that you gave. How we interpret those facts is different. Right. Well, I I, I think yeah, they're they're. It's definitely a different interpretation of facts, but if you just once again take uh, the view seriously that I'm uh, offering, I'm uh, abortion, or, I, I believe you. <laughs> so, uh, I, for anyone listening, this is a conversation in good faith. Okay, we're going to disagree. <laughs> this is uh, yeah, this, yeah, no disagreement is not bad. Um, 
But abortion, it, it has not, in fact, been shown to be a thing that diminishes uh, society. Like, for instance, if you killed all girls uh, under three, you, you would simply not be able to procreate. Right? You, you wouldn't be able to flourish. Um, if you abort fetuses, but your society is still producing uh, more than enough children to maintain your society, such as China, for instance, which I uh, think has a fairly abort, uh, abhorrent uh, abortion policy, no matter what else I think about abortion. I, I, I think that China uh, has, has some real problems there. But their, their abortion policy does not seem, and I'm, I'm open to, to counter examples here, but it does not seem to be the thing that is harming their society. They're, they're able to produce plenty of people to have children and procreate uh, and, uh, and even grow their society. And that's, that's a society that should probably, would probably be healthier if it was smaller uh, rather than larger. So I don't, I don't see your argument of abortion in terms of this moral framework that I'm uh, that I'm that I'm posing so uh, yes we agree uh, we disagree on the facts but we also disagree that it's wrong on my framework because I, I don't think that it is in fact harming their society if anything uh, you know it if they had a slightly different way of, of um, instantiating so their policy point, it, is, may, is it your, might actually is, be beneficial is your is your point sort of only things that harm society are, are wrong. Those are the only types of wrongs that I am generally concerned with. So, and when I say society, uh, I don't always mean all people all the time. It could be a society of two people. Uh, you know, mor morality is a matter of relationship. And so it doesn't have to be a big relationship. But I am mostly concerned about society of all humans when when the conversation can be expanded to that scope. Uh -huh. Because I'm, I'm interested in the flourishing of all humans. For instance, I do not believe that we have achieved our goal at all. If we uh -huh. have one small society uh, that achieves utopia... We, mm -hmm. we, we have not achieved our goal. We might, we might look and see what they have done. I, I suspect they've done a lot of antisocial things that harm other people to achieve it. I, I agree with you that um, those things that are good for societies are, are morally uh, correct given what that given given um, given what that good is or what that thing is but I do think that you know um, you can there, there could be a society that's set up even globally that does things or, or when I look at Nazi Germany their society was doing things that was, was evil even though it benefited the mass the mass majority Right? No, I don't. I, I disagree with could, that. Just historically, you could, make, you could you could make that 
argument again on the global scale as it is now the vast majority could have <clears throat> the moral the moral sort of precepts carved in stone and put into law to suit them but that wouldn't really be it might it might benefit everybody in some way but it wouldn't necessarily be the right thing but i, I don't the, an example I, I could give could be the subjugation of women i think that would be wrong even if for example you know just over half of the world's population thought that was something that we should do right but it would it would be wrong it would not benefit everybody, as you say. It would, it would, it would at most, most benefit only half the people. And I assure you, uh, subjugating women over a long period of time doesn't even benefit that half. Uh, and this is this is where well, I would. Well, here's, here's the thing, right? If 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 the if over half the world's population thought that, and everybody went along with them in that in that in over half the world's population, for example, they thought you know the woman's place is. Uh, to be a child-bearing machine, uh, then according to, you know, as you've laid out, the sort of ethics rooted in in social convenience and, I don't know, utility, then that would be the right thing to do. But I can look back or look across as an objectivist. But I'm saying, that no, that would not be the right thing to do under that social, under, under the view of social utility. That that proves out to be wrong every time. It proves out to be bad every time. This is. I, I want to just go back to your your thing with Nazi Germany because once again I hear that kind of tossed out there, almost mindlessly. Nazi Germany was not benefited uh, by those policies. They may have seemed to benefit for a short period of time, but the rest of the world could look at that and say, you know what, that's not good. And look at what happened ultimately because of those policies. Uh, Nazi, Germany went through a terrible period of uh, rebuilding uh, after their policies went to hell in a handbasket. So just because something seems like it's uh, beneficial to a small group of uh, people for some time does not say that it is actually producing social, uh, the utility of, of uh, social flourishing. So I, I would say even well, during not, the time I, of I, Nazi I, Germany, people yeah. could objectively look at that and say, you know what, that's not actually flourishing. You're not actually flourishing, and well, this I'm is going to collapse on you, and it did. I'm not sure I'd agree with you on that, because you have to look at the historical context, right? Uh, Nazi Germany was doing, well, I'll never say anything good about Nazi Germany, but they seem to be getting on fine. And the thing that brought about um, the collapse of Nazi Germany was not because uh, Allied powers were trying to stop the evil that was going on. It was uh, it was other things. It was military expansionism that caused the fall of the Third Reich, right? The invasion of Poland, whom Britain and France had a treaty with. That's and um, Hitler's double crossing or the the relationship that soured with Russia that caused them to have the attack on the on the on the Eastern Front, then the USA's um, partnership with uh, uh, Britain that caused them to come into the war. So I think I think the evil that they were doing was shamefully not motivation for stopping them doing that evil. It was peripheral things that. Uh, central but peripheral things that brought about the collapse of the, the Third Reich. Well, I, I think, I think it sure suffered, I 
it suffered an inevitable fall. And I think that inevitability could be seen by people outside of that system. So I, I, mm -hmm. would, I would just push back on the idea that just because a thing, thing seems to be beneficial temporarily to some people, that it is actually uh, creating some kind of social good. Uh, the, the example, for instance, uh, of, uh, let's say, an anarchy uh, where only the strongest survive and everyone is constantly in a fight to the death, only the strongest survive. That may seem like a good idea for the strongest people. It is not. There is no point where it, that kind of anarchical system is good for anyone. It only feels like it's good for the person who's still alive at the moment. But pretty soon, extinction is the inevitable conclusion to that kind of system, because pretty soon they have no, they, there's no one left to rule. Uh, and so you don't, in fact, have a society. You have a society that is uh, inevitably collapsing, even if it feels uh, for the moment like it's uh, a thing that's beneficial. That is not uh, an example uh, of, of utilitarian good for society. That's, that's an example of someone having a false sense of that. And I think that people uh, are often mistaken that things that they are doing are good when they are, are bad. But I think that that's where we have to kind of apply the science and the social sciences of actions and consequences to get a better idea of, is this action truly a good thing to achieve the goal of uh, the maximum amount of flourishing for the maximum amount of people or not? And I think that that is very predictable uh, once we, once we, come to realize that that is the thing that we want to achieve. Right. Well, I, 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 will, dis, I will disagree about um, the anarchy uh, analogy you gave, because China happens to be quite a good example of how that system works, which people can look at in their own time. But I, I would just want to ask you one question again and just clarify for me about social cohesion so what 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 you think is is that what is good is what brings about flourishing in a, in a society I'm, I'm sorry I, I missed the question um, would, would you would you say that it, what what you consider to be the moral thing the moral thing is that which brings about flourishing for a human society globally yes which is cool would you say that's objectively true no so it's not the case that what is good is what brings about flourishing for a human society no that could, that could in some oatmeal cookie sense be bad I, I frankly the universe does not care the universe would not notice if humans uh, blew themselves off of uh, the globe the universe would just keep on being the universe and so it's hard for me to think in terms of these things outside of the human societies that we're talking about mm -hmm. um, and, and I know that you frame things in, in a certain way because you believe that morality exists above and beyond uh, the, the human animal and I do not uh, and so once we, once we stop talking about the well-being of humans I don't even know what we're talking about anymore uh, and so if, if morality is something other than human uh, well-being for the maximum number of people um, 
then I don't, I don't think I understand the concept of okay. morality. Now, let, let, let me push back a bit. You said if we're not talking about humans, you don't know what we're talking about when we talk about morality. Peter Singer, um, the, the atheist philosopher, put um, sort of an argument together along the lines of um, uh, as far, insofar as a, a, a being, a sentient being of any type can suffer, that is what morality addresses and that certain uh, animals can suffer well, example, well i agree certain, with certain, i agree certain, with that certain, certain certain animals can be sort of more capable of suffering than certain types of humans i agree so with that given, when i say so human i'm that, i'm including i'm including so given, other so animals given, so given that you would say that um it'd be okay to sort of disregard certain humans in who can't suffer in favor of certain animals that can suffer yes i would i i say that's very unsavory so it's, it's almost like a graded property well it is a, a graded, human, it a, is a graded a, property and and that's we definitely disagree there then so so for example uh, a disabled um, human or uh, and uh, a pretty cognizant uh, well-functioning uh, higher pri primate the primate has the higher status than the low-functioning uh, human I don't think I would put it in terms of status uh, but I'm a disabled human uh, I don't think that I would like my rights curtailed uh, so I, I think yeah, that if we're, not, if we're it's not, it's not rights it's, it's the ethics of suffering okay but right? my my so ethics of suffering because, like i said i'm a i'm a i'm a disabled human <laughs> and so i i believe i'm sorry go ahead i was going to say i think you and you and harris have grounded your morality in maximizing uh, pleasure and minimizing suffering which is why i'm specifically talking about suffering and you can't really say that a, an animal has rights in the same way that a human has rights. But I could. So the, argue, the argument can be made that they can suffer. So I'm, I'm talking now a, a person who is unable to, uh, you know. A, a person who is unable to suffer compared that, to an animal that, that is able to suffer, yeah, I would say that. That doesn't, that doesn't make any sense, but. Well, it does. There are plenty of humans that are unable to suffer. They're they're in vegetative states. I've I've met I've met several. Okay, uh, you know, so there, uh, you know, there are they human? Sure, uh, taxonomically, you bet. Uh, but they cannot suffer, and they cannot experience life, uh, even at the level uh, of a bonobo. So, yes, uh, the, the suffering priority at that point goes to the bonobo. The human does not get special priorities simply because of its DNA. Uh, Thank you. Yeah. So what if the person is not in a vegetative, vegetative state, but perhaps is functioning very, very minimally? Well, I think that I think that it's a matter of function, right? I because once again, having so just so the audience uh, has some some background in this. Uh, when I was uh, young, I went to a school, uh, a boarding school that uh, housed many disabled people, 
And some of those people were lightly disabled. Some of those people were massively disabled. And I've worked uh, for a, a little bit within the system of the disabled community and the institutions that deal with people of severe disabilities. And so when I say that I'm disabled, I'm what you might call a higher functioning disabled person. Uh, and there were people who uh, in that group could have been Nobel laureates. And there were other people in that group uh, who would never know the difference between a golf ball and an egg. Uh, so I have had uh, a great deal of, of experience with people of varying uh, degrees of disability. Uh, now, there are people who are severely uh, disabled who can still, who still have the capacity to suffer, say, and so they, they might have the mentality uh, of, say, a, um, a, a puppy, but it would also be wrong to call suffering on the puppy for no good reason, too. Right. So uh, they don't they don't lose the right to not suffer unnecessarily simply because they're massively disabled. But there is a point of disability where you don't we're not they don't have the capacity to suffer in in the way that we're talking about. And they don't have an experience of life uh, that allows them to. Uh, you know, no love or joy or happiness. And they are, they are simply human DNA machines. And so that person would not, for instance, uh, in, in my view, have the same uh, considerations as uh, something that is not human, but has a much higher capacity to uh, suffer and experience uh, life. So I think to, to, uh, to, kind of cap that off, uh, I definitely disagree with the Christian intuition to, uh, and it's not just Christians, by the way, uh, but uh, th that intuition to preference humans because they have some special DNA or some special spirit or some special other thing inside of them making them special. No, we're animals in the animal kingdom. Uh, and I think that we have to judge all animals in the same way that, you know, we would have to judge aliens if they ever did finally land on the planet. They would clearly not be humans, but they would also be sentient. What would we do with them? You know, and so I, I think the question of preferencing humans for some spiritual reason just doesn't it doesn't fit in the in my thought process. Which is cool. But so. Um, Harris's utilitarianism that you sort of favor it would flesh out with a mixture of sentient beings, humans, apes, bonobos. Like it could be could flesh out like that, would you say? Yes, I'm this is one of the reasons I don't like to call myself a humanist. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm not a humanist, uh, although but I think you, you, subs you subscribe to Peter Singer's species speciesism which is the un, sort of the irrational uh, idea of placing importance primarily or a human-centric view of the universe or of the species on this planet. Well, uh, right. So, I, so I'm not, I'm not human-centric. I don't, for yeah, instance, so think saying, of I'm a... Say, I'm, I'm saying you're not what he would call... A speciesist. Right, I am not. Um, I, yeah. I judge that my dog deserves certain behavior, I mean, certain uh, treatment, um, without 
losing the fact that taxonomically he's a canine. Mm -hmm. So I don't treat him like a human because he's not a human. But I don't treat other humans like canines because they're not canines. Mm -hmm. But both of those beings deserve, at the very least, a base level of respect and fair treatment and a, ch a chance at happiness because of their experience uh, of life and their ability to suffer and feel uh, pleasure. Mm -hmm. And so I, I just don't, I don't see any reason why I would break it down and say, well, this species is better than that species in that regard. Now, I, I think we can say some general things about biology in, in general and say that humans have a greater experience of life and pleasure and pain than earthworms. So mm -hmm. I don't actually mind taking an earthworm and putting it on a hook and putting it in water and catching a bigger fish <laughs> and then taking that fish out of the water and chopping its head off and uh, cooking it and, and enjoying a tasty piece of fish. I don't, I don't actually have a, prob, a moral problem with any of that. And some people might say I should, but I, an earthworm does not have the same experience of a life as a human, nor, nor does a fish. But on the other hand, I, I also don't think that it's right uh, to allow kids to go around um, taking magnifying glasses and uh, exploding bugs for, for pleasure. I think, I think there's something sadistic about that. And even, even if the bug doesn't suffer in the way that we think of suffering, I think that because of the kind of creature we are, we should not uh, uh, seek to do sadistic things to other creatures, no matter what kind of creature we think they are. Agreed. Agreed. Being, being cruel for the sake of being cruel diminishes from the individual. Exactly. So, yeah, I, I agree. And, I, and um, I think the Christian story is that we should treat God's creation um, with respect and as well as we can, which I think includes animals. Sure, but I, I think that... But, I do, uh... but I, do, I do think that humans are... How could I put it? Humans are, are different to um, animals, and I think that we we should um, look after humans in a special way. Well, I, I think that so humans give, are give, animals. Give, yeah, give, so, right? so given the cho given the choice between looking after a disabled person and um, a, a higher functioning bonobo, I would choose the I would choose the person. Well, I think I would choose the person too because I would not. I don't have the um, the the biological or medical or philosophical subtlety to to say which deserves more. Uh, so, if we're talking about um, a shortage of resources uh, in in a situation where only one being uh, can be helped. And uh, one of the beings is a human in a vegetative state, and the other being is a healthy uh, bonobo, or a bonobo that could be healthy and, and live a uh, long social life. We, and, and we know that we can't help the human. All, all we can do is just ex extend their meat functions 
uh, for you know such time that they give out. But that human uh, inside their head is experiencing no life. They're doing their their body can function uh, not at all. They're simply quote unquote alive just on the basis of machines moving their body, uh, their, their chest up and down. Uh, I would say put the money to the bonobo. Mm -hmm. I think I, I think we 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 differ there because I just think that um, uh, given that scenario, I'd still find it very difficult to not to give up hope in helping the individual and um, putting the money with the bonobo, as as you put it. Uh, I mean, if if we know right that that that, that human is a useless case, then. That would be tough, but I just still don't think that I would be able to put the money on the bonobo at the expense of the human. I just, I just couldn't do it. Right, and so this is one of those uh, places where I think the facts, uh, how we view the facts, uh, may view how we decide what is right and wrong. Uh, because you believe that there's something more going on uh, in that human than the biological functions, and I do not. Uh -huh. uh, and so I am measuring biological functions and biological functions alone. And you are measuring something else that you deem uh, mysteriously sacred. Mm -hmm. And I cannot access that thing that you yeah, think of as mysteriously I mean... sacred, right? I, so we, we have no, no hope of coming to an agreement on what's right and wrong in that situation because you have a different view of the reality of of the world that humans are made up of some mysterious sacred substance and bonobos aren't and, and well, I, I did i did read um i did watch a philosopher i think he's from princeton uh yesterday and his idea is this look evolution or darwinism selects for sort of su the most adaptable traits intelligence is one humans are the most intelligent screw the rest that's the way it goes every species fights for its, its survival uh, that's what darwinism is about humans are the best at surviving so uh, just live with it just learn to live with it we um uh, are the the apex of the uh, of the biosphere that we inhabit and that's the way it goes yeah, i disagree with all of those things uh i mean i, I disagree with the 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 fact statements. I don't think that humans are necessarily the most intelligent, but even if we are, uh, I don't think that intelligence equals uh, survivability or adaptability. I, I think that the thing that will survive long after humans are gone uh, are cockroaches. Uh, you know, there, there are some species yeah, that seem to it's live a little, for... It's a, little, it's a little bit counterfactual, isn't it? I mean, you can always say, I think that will. But we're talking about what is now and the ones that appear according to this philosopher to be I try to remember the cockroaches have been here longer than us and they seem to be able to survive things that we cannot but we could but we could eliminate them if we wanted to sure but if, viruses if, if, if viruses US, will likely eliminate US, us before we eliminate if cockroaches the US and if the US government the Chinese government got together and said you know what let's have a war on cockroaches I think we could win it. I don't. I don't know. <laughs> be honest with you. This is that's, that's an interesting thought experiment. I don't think we could actually. What I'm trying to, what I'm trying to point out is that 
I'm trying to point that. I think the cockroaches out. would wipe us out. They would they would grow strong on our bug spray. Well, I mean, <laughs> they would take when, us out in two generations. Anyway, I'm sure if they, they, we put the money into uh, genetically engineering them negatively or something like that, it could be done. But the point is that we occupy a um, position of planetary dominance at this time. Yeah, and like the dinosaur. Yeah, and they they ruled for a while, and then according to Dar you know certain Darwinian principles, they were wiped out. But they were in their rightful place at the apex of that biosphere, according to this um, philosopher. I'm really sorry, I can't remember his name. I try to remember him. Because it was, um, I was sort of listening to a discussion on antinatalism, and um, he, he sort of had important things to say on antinatalism. Yeah, but I, I mean, look, there is a certain brutish truth to the fact that the the strongest often use that strength to wipe mm -hmm. out weaker species. There, there is, I think, little evidence, though, that that leads to a better outcome. Uh, and so it, it is not, in fact, always true that the strongest wipe out um, lesser species. Humans aren't the only ones who uh, have that, um, that, that ethic. Uh, animals in the wild do not seek to genocide lesser species. Uh, lions do not eat all the antelope. Um, yeah, because they can't. I, if they would, they. I'm sure. If if they had the ability to, I'm sure they'd try. I don't know. I don't. I don't know if we have any evidence for that. But it, it, at it, at any rate, we don't see any evidence of lions trying to destroy every species taxonomically, taxonomically below them. We don't see evidence of that in most any species. Um, and, and so I'm not saying that they have some kind of poetic type of ethic that they're working off of, but it seems like nature itself uh, demands that we have some amount of um, of of um, self-control in, in this manner. Mm -hmm. um, and so I don't think that humans are unique in wanting to make sure that the ecosystem is healthy uh, so that it survives. Uh, so we, we do seem to have that ethic, but yeah. not, not all humans do. Some humans think that it's a good idea to wipe out just anything below them. I don't, I don't think we're different from of, animals there. Yeah. I'm a little bit sort of, um, if you could wind back a bit so that I, I you can help me. Um, what, what were you saying about lions and genocide? Yeah, uh, lions, there, there's no evidence that lions are on some mission to destroy all creatures that are not as strong as lions. So um, may I ask how that relates to what we were saying uh, before? Oh well, um, well, I was just commenting. Uh, I was just responding to your comment about the the, 
person who was suggesting that the evolutionary um, drive seems to be to uh, to dominate uh, over everything else, and uh, you know that somehow because because humans are at the top of the food chain that we uh, should merely dominate and that that should be some kind of atheist ethic it, it's not it's it's not a well, it's I not a natural say, ethic at all it was a, i didn't say it was an atheist ethic i said it's sort of uh, an outworking of darwinism but it's not an outworking of darwinism is this is what i'm saying i mean it, if okay. the, the animal kingdom well understood you would see that that's simply not how any species behaves and you might say, well, but that seems like how it should behave. But then, you know, I'm I'm arguing against when, your when imagination you of not, how not it should how behave. A species, when you say it's not how a species behaves, um, flesh that out a, a little bit. Well, can you give you, me you, an example you, besides you, you humans mean, who behave that way? Behave in, in what way? In a, in a way that requires that they uh, dominate over all species so that uh, lesser species uh, suffer as a result of it. Well, I, I don't think that they, I don't think that they dominate so lesser, lesser species suffer. They just dominate to achieve their ends. So a lion um, eats as much as it can eat and feeds its family as much as it can. In that sense, it dom it's, it's very happy to dominate, you know, dominate the surround, to be the apex predator on the savanna. Well, okay, but I, I think I think that's just the outworking of all um, carnivorous uh, carnivorous creatures. You know, we um, mm -hmm. we we eat Which food that we can that, catch. Yeah. But, Which but, is the point. but the thing is, we we could all eat more. I mean, the, the idea that lions couldn't eat more—I I, don't—I'm I'm not sure that that's true. I mean, we could all, we could all eat more, well, kill more, destroy what more. I'm, what I'm trying to say is that its actions are not governed by moral considerations. They, I, well, but I ours aren't they either, are. in in that sense. Yeah, I think I think they're governed by instincts and those instincts are to eat as much as they can procreate as much as they can right and in that sense they will they will try to dominate their 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 environment sure there will be checks and balances that sort of inhibit how successful that is but i think that's all that from an from a macro point of view from the outside looking in, that's all they are. That's all they do. That's all their programming does is to is try to dominate. Same as same with wolves, same with black widow spiders, same with um, lapids such as cobras. I think that that's what they do. They try to dominate, control, and be the apex predator or, or, or predominant species and whatever environment they find themselves and what the philosopher was saying well that's the way nature is and that's the way humans should be ought to be and we need not be uh, too distraught about that but just take advantage of those things that nature has given us to dominate or 
control the surroundings in which we find ourselves. I don't think we are uh, that much different from other uh, large uh, social apes. Uh, so, I mean, they, they also have societies, and you can say, well, they don't have an ethic, but they also, um, you know, they also don't uh, overeat their environment, uh, and they, they create uh, social situations where their families can thrive and their children can thrive and create families, and that ecosystem can continue. And you can say, well, that's just that's just their programming. I don't I don't see how you're saying the human why the human does that for different reasons. I mean, they we behave pretty much the same way in that sense. Uh, you lost me. We we behave the same way in in, in what sense? We well, we, have... we we behave the same way as other large uh, uh, primates. But we don't. Well, For example, how do, how do we not? Bono I believe uh, gorillas and bonobos are sexually dimorphic, which means that one male, <clears throat> or the dominant male, has a harem in which the other males are not allowed to intrude upon. So and it's that's a very different, different from humans, how? Uh, yeah, I don't know anybody that would. Um, beat another man because he's having an affair with his um, uh, chosen target. I, I, I don't mix with people like that. Okay, um, but, you're, but you are, seem to be de denying that... sexually dimorphic. Human, strong human males have sex with as many females as they can get away with. Um, and that's, that's true whether they're married or not. We, we are very, very sexually dimorphic in that sense. Uh, we try to force... Uh, a kind of a, uh, a different type of sexual ethic on ourselves because we think that it comes from the outside and that, that we should be a certain way. But it's proven again and again and again uh, that we are not that. Divorce is end at a rate of about 50%. Okay, but, but, but um, you know, apes, apes live in, I think gorillas live in societies in which the weaker males don't get any. Only the big males get some, and that's the point. That's where the, that's why the where the sexual dimorphism pl plays out in a way that is not analogous to human societies. That's the point that I was making. Sure, and I I, I suspect though, in a small enough um, um, community, if someone was strong enough to do that. <laughs> They would yeah. do that. I don't. I don't. I don't think that is not a not a human trait. I think that it is simply not practical <laughs> to do. I think that I think that we have tried all kinds of things like that. Uh, societies okay. simply I human can, societies can, don't survive can, well that way. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine it, but um, uh, yeah, um, yeah. I, our ethic is not better <laughs> in in that sense. Uh, our our societies are bigger though. Uh, and so there are certain things that are, are simply not practical, but, but we've tried it. We've, we've tried all of those things. It, it just turns out that either that ends in war or your society ends up, uh, uh, being, uh, beaten out by other societies that perform better. And so evolution, uh, requires, uh, that we behave in certain ways, but I don't, I don't think that you can rack that up to, oh, but we have a greater ethic. Okay.
So uh, can we take a moment and um, I, I want to double back before I go forward just one more. I know that we're, we've gone long here. Um, but you were talking about killing babies for fun. We can change, we can change that uh, narrative to something like homosexuality. Um, because that's something that um, we do uh, at a fairly predictable rate. Uh, and it's something that we can talk about as a real thing as opposed to a uh, hypothetical uh, thing. So this is not an, an attempt to get you in trouble with a constituency. It's, it's a matter of trying to talk about this thing with real examples uh, that we can wrap our minds around. So one of the places where uh, our ethic cashes out, well, might cash out differently. Uh, as I wrote, I, I have not asked you before this moment what your opinion is, and I'm sure you've talked about it on the board, and I, I don't know what it is. Um, so uh, I see no wrong at all uh, with the practice of homosexuality. Um, mm -hmm. And I'm guessing that you do. Uh, mm -hmm. And so... Uh, even if I were to believe that ethics uh, flow from God, I don't know how that would give me the, the position that homosexuality is wrong. And one of the reasons I say that is because these days, and I've looked at a, a number of statistics, as many as I can, uh, the majority, it's a small majority, something like 57% uh, uh, Christians, just Christians, taking out the filthy atheists out of it believe that homosexuality is okay. Uh, mm -hmm. That it is, in fact, not a sin and that, that it should not be uh, regulated in any way. So this is, this is the Christian um, thought on homosexuality now. And that's different from what it used to be. It's, it's changed rather rapidly. But the fact of the matter is, if I were to just survey Christians and just accept that morality comes from God, how would I come to... Uh, the right answer on homosexuality? What, what method do I use to get there? Um, kind of not tracking with you there. Do you, do, you mean, do you mean how does the Christian determine that homosexuality is wrong? Well, yes, the Christians that do if determine do. it. Right. I think, I think if they think it's wrong, then they would have to determine that the the Bible is the word of God and that it's authoritative in what it says and that um, there's an injunction against homosexuality in that in that word of God that is applicable to this day and that contravening what that word says is a contravention of a moral code that ought not to be contravened that's how you'd get there so you're saying it would it's wrong because there's a book that says it's wrong. No, and you're asking you're asking me why why I think it's wrong. Um, I I I think that um, that yeah, I think that that is one way of arriving at it. I think that right. Um, but, well, I, so before think, you go, think, though, even if I, I accepted that the, answer, the Christians well, who do believe in that Bible my, disagree. Let me give my opinion on it, so you so you can know where I'm coming from. Sure. Yeah, I think that reading it I think it, it is um, classed as uh, prohibited yeah 
and you so you were going to say well it, so even if I accept it this uh, way of coming about uh, the, the right thing uh, Christians disagree on that because the, the people that I am talking about in these surveys uh, uh, believe that the Bible uh, is inspired uh, in some way. And so they, they do accept it as the Word of God, and they're just reading it differently than you. Uh, and there are more of them reading the Bible who seem to come to the conclusion that it's okay, as, as opposed to those who still think it's wrong. So it seems to me that if I'm using this, the Bible, as, a, as the method of determining uh, right and wrong, I am still uh, confused about how to how to determine what's right and wrong. It's not simply enough to say, well, it's in that book over there, because different people reading the book have different ideas about it. And so you don't you don't actually come out with a an assurance of what is right and wrong. Yeah, I mean, just because people don't agree on what something says doesn't mean that that thing doesn't say something. Well, I'm not saying that it doesn't say something, but it doesn't do any. It doesn't help you determine what's right or wrong if you can't absolutely know uh, what that thing is saying. And it seems like that well, first, that is the case. First, first, you can't absolutely know anything. Even in science, you can't absolutely know anything, right? But if you're if you're asking me, I think that what I mentioned was that I'm a virtue ethicist, and I think that we are we are designed or we do have an essence and sort of there's a way we are and there's a way we should be mm -hmm. bridging the way we are to the way we should be is what moral is what morality is is what it's aiming towards now since we are designed in a specific way i would say that contravening that design is not not living a life in the way that we should be and there is a way that we should be that is determined by our uh, physical structure as well as our intellectual makeup. So I would also say that that is part of the right way to act, or the good way to act, should I say. So you're saying that heterosexuality is how humans are designed, and that, that seems to be contradicted by you know the 5 to 10% of humans uh, that are homosexuality, homosexual. And by the way, uh, you know, before you say, oh, well, those are just people who prefer this, you also see that same uh, ratio roughly in, in other animals. Uh, and so it does seem to be a natural thing. I don't see how you could say, well, well it's designed I, I, in animals. I just, I, I just flatly disagree. I don't think, for one thing, that we can see that in other animals. Um, you, you don't? To know that. To know, to know that they're homosexual, you'd have to know things about the disposition of their conscious states of being, right? That they prefer. How do you how do you, how do you define that homosexual? They, that they prefer that they prefer um, male horses, for example, to female horses, um, for whatever reasons, right? Now, how could you ever know that about an animal, other than knowing that? Well, I think the is that this animal is mistaken or uh, has too much sort of sexual hormones or something like that. You could never, uh, so far, I think, scientifically come up with uh, uh, a chart that says this species 5% prefer males because uh, they just do. Yeah, I'm, so, to, I'm... To, 
to crystallize that. Okay. I'm trying to say that's a comment about the disposition, the conscious disposition of sentient beings, some of which are not that sentient compared to us, or is that the right word, not that higher functioning compared to us, and that's just something that even in principle is just unknown. Yeah, given I'm, currency. I'm not sure that I care about their psychology <laughs> here, because I'm all, I, as, I, as I speak of homosexuality, I'm speaking of behavior. Yeah, surely psychology is what it's about, because isn't it the psychology behavior? No, it's about, right? it's about desire. And that, yeah, which is... It's an emotion. It's not, it's not that high of an emotion. It's governed by psychology. Oh. That's the point. Well, but and it's... That's the point. That's the point the trans is going to make, right? The trans is going to make the point that you're born in a body, which is a sexual, physical attribute, but um, gender is a social construct which doesn't fit with their psychology. Okay, but it's it's not a particularly uh, high order thought process that we're talking about. We're just talking about desire. Some people. How, how, how high the thought process is, is um, I'm not uh, privy to, to say that. I, I just don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, think, it's, I think it's a fairly low level, um, uh, almost at the level of instinctual process. And I can't say. It. I just don't know. I can't comment on that. I, I don't know. But, but, know. We, but we can certainly comment on the behavior. So uh, the, if, if the you. Behavior is determined by the psychology. No, the behavior is determined by the behavior. <laughs> the, be the behavior... It, it, it cannot. You do, behavior is to say you do things, and there are reasons why you do things. If you have a reason, you do the thing. You don't just do the thing and do the thing, which is, you know, a tautology. So, um, I'm, I'm honestly trying to understand. <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm... Uh... <laughs> Message. Have you seen the Have you seen the message? The, the message. No. I don't. Okay. Let me. I mean, sex, sexuality is a behavior. Let me shoot it to you again. Okay. Oh, uh, here. When you said the message, I thought you were talking about a, a movie. Like. I've seen the message. <laughs> no. Um, oh, are, are you in uh, Skype? Are you sending it via Skype? Yeah, I, I've sent one via Skype and one via. Um, okay. Uh, one let, via. Um, let me let me just look at the email. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, right. So let me. Um, let me let me do this. We we have the beginnings of a discussion. This is a this is a discussion um, that properly done should be done over the course of weeks, months, lifetimes. Uh -huh. um, and so, can I uh, suggest that we uh, come back? to the arena, pick up some of these topics plus some more that are uh, left on the cutting room floor and bring <laughs> and bring a, and bring a friend or two. I think that's a great idea. 
uh, and your your list of friends that you can bring are wide open. And there's there's no one there's no one that you could invite that I would not want to talk to. Okay. Um, and uh, and that that that's reciprocated. I've thoroughly enjoyed it, and hope that you you feel free to bring anybody you think. Uh, yeah. Would enjoy. There, there have been some uh, interesting ideas expressed. Some, some, uh, you know, catch me a, a little by surprise. And I need to go back and listen through and think about. I think that there have probably been uh, one or two places in here where we may have misunderstood the other and gone off on uh-huh. uh, tangents, which yeah. is fine. Uh, but I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed the conversation. And as you know, in in my uh, notes. There's there's more to talk about. I'm going to post that as a blog post, and if you want to post against that, you can. I'll put that up. Just send send me an email. I'll put it up. I appreciate that. Um, but yeah, so uh, I look forward to the comment section because I know that we're both going to get lambasted for the things we didn't say. <laughs> and, um, right. right. I've got a I've got a feeling that um, we're gonna we're gonna get it. Uh, for that and some maybe some things that uh, you know further consideration we rethink <laughs> and say again uh, the next time so uh, folks consider this uh, round one round two coming at some point uh, if not within the next few days or weeks uh, definitely at the beginning of season three um, we will pick this up again uh, and we will bring friends. Yes, I will bring. Um, I'll be like the kid. I'm going to bring my strongest friend. Yes, we will. We will bring our <laughs> champions. <laughs> I'm going to bring my strongest friend. Yeah. So, um, if, if there are some people on both sides uh, of the uh, table who want to want to get a piece of that, <laughs> drop drop your name in the comments. Uh, we might can make room, uh, and so. Uh, in the meantime, um, I, I think it's been fun and cordial as well, do you? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I think it's going to go to hell in the comments. That's but cool. That's why I really enjoy the live conversations. <laughs> that, 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 that's cool. Perhaps um, Jean, Jean-Paul Sartre thought other people were, was hell, but um, he never... Um, experienced the comment section on a blog, did he? So. It is. It, it's terrible. It, look, it brings out my worst. Uh, and I know it even as it's happening. Look, someone yeah. that you argue with all the time, who I might who I might actually choose as a champion if I can get him, Val. He's actually a nice guy. Uh, but he has he has this um, presence on the internet. And he, he's he can't help it. He's 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 got it. He's got triggers too, and yeah. I love, I love watching um, him and uh, you get tangled up. Um, this is it's high drama and entertainment for me. So I'm hoping that Val comes along and really. Speak up, staying at home. <laughs> no, you're not. You can't help it. Uh, you, you, I meant that as a compliment. Absolutely. No, no. But you, look, it's it's so much fun uh, to watch that. But that's I know that that's the kind of the twisted side of me. Uh, these comments, uh, these uh, conversations live, though, uh, they're kind of my lifeblood right now, and I'm I'm glad that you're a part of it. 
And uh, with that, uh, I think that we will bring this to an end for now, and uh, we'll see you next time. See you. Thank you very much. All right.